and in the future. Father, these songs are really prayers to you. Prayers of our dependence upon you and our rejoicing in your mercies and faithfulness every day and throughout our days. And Father, as we come now to open your word, Father, your mercies are made known in your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to be attentive to you, to your word, and that we would listen well, not, not so that we can gain information, but so that we can love and adore you above all else in our lives. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I enjoy running. I wanted to pause there to see if I could get any reaction because many of you in this room think I am crazy for that desire. Now, I know there's some, some very wise people in this room who share that enjoyment of running, and, uh, I, but I enjoy running. My dad, for a long time, has said there is something wrong with me because I have a desire to run and an enjoyment from running, and some of you may share my dad's opinion. But one day you'll find out that I was right and he and you were wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I, I do enjoy running, though. Uh, it may be an odd thing for you and you may not find it enjoyable, but I enjoy running for a couple of reasons. Uh, there's lots of reasons, but just a couple of them. One is it is a stress reliever for me. Now, for you, running may be a stress inducer. It may cause stress for you. That's very possible. But for me, it's like a clearing of my mind to be able to just go and run. Uh, also, a very simple reason why I enjoy running is it's fun. Right? Those of you who enjoy running can share that enjoyment with me. The rest of you can just scratch your head and wonder what is wrong with me. But uh, just add that to the ongoing list of things that you wonder as, as to what is wrong with me. But as I've ran, I've ran for off and on for about 20 years now, and so you probably think I'm really old, which for some of you high school students, I am old, but for many of you, I am very young. But I have been running now for a while, and what I have noticed is that it is running is not just a physical activity that my legs do. And you might think, well, that is a really obvious thing. Well, the more and more I run, the more and more I realize that it is a whole body activity. Every part of your body is engaged when you run. Now maybe for some of you who don't enjoy running, you don't think about these kind of things. Uh, but I have been running longer distances recently and, and working toward a goal. And during that, I've been noticing different parts of my body and what they're doing and how they're responding, how they're acting. And it's a physical and a mental part of running. And I've known that for a long time. But recently, it's become more and more aware to me that it's the whole person from my head all the way to my toes. That every part of my body is involved in the activity of running. And uh, for an example, my eyes which you might not think are important to running, unless you're a runner, you would think it's important. But your eyes are important when you run. And if you want to know more about why they're important or how they're important, I can talk to you later about it. That's not really the point. The point is I'm giving you an example of part of my body that I didn't necessarily think a lot about as I, did, as I went for a run. But my eye, your eyes are important to how you run. It may seem strange, as I said, to say that your eyes are important, but it's true. Where we look... Where we set our focus as we run is very important. Some people will run with their heads down. 
Some people will run with their heads up. I've seen some funny uh, videos on YouTube recently of different ways that people run. Uh, if you're interested in those, I can talk to you about them. They, it's, peop, it's a man who over-exaggerates how a person runs. Uh, very, very funny. But we all do different things when we run with our eyes. But if we want to run well, we need to keep our eyes in front of us, our head up and looking forward. It's just running is a whole body activity. And as running is a whole body, whole person activity, so is our life in Christ. We can easily think that certain aspects of our lives only pertain to God and others do not. We can easily think that. But the reality is that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, all of our life is his. It's fully God in Jesus. Not just parts of it, not just times in our lives, but all of our lives. And so from our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-22, we will see this morning that, that we must live wholly focused on God. And that, that's our big idea this morning. God wants you to live wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, our whole lives focused on him. The question we ask is, how then are we to live wholly focused on God? Well, we live wholly focused on God by developing two habits in our daily lives. We, de we live wholly focused on God by developing two habits in our daily lives. First, we live wholly focused on God by delighting in God. We live wholly focused on God by delighting in him. We have so many options in our world today of things that we can set our delight on, things that we can find joy and satisfaction in, don't we? You cannot watch any television and see any commercials anywhere and not be drawn and enticed to want certain things, to set our joy on those things. Now, maybe you don't watch TV, and that's probably for the best for all, for all of us to, to do, is to not watch TV. But, but we have desires to find great enjoyment and satisfaction in things, even things that are good, like family or friends or hobbies or jobs or just, just relaxing or sports or reading or this, or that, and on and on the list could go as the things in which we set our delight on and in. But as truly converted people, we must delight in God above all else. God should be our greatest joy, our greatest passion in life. Not that other things aren't important, not that we don't care about those things, but God is supreme. And we find in our passage today, Paul helping his friends to take delight in God above all else. And we see this specifically in verses 16 to 18. And I just want to draw your attention to the end of verse 18 because I think this is the foundation or the bottom of our delight. The end of verse 18 says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. At the bottom of our delight in God is the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. It is the foundation. It is where our, our delight springs from. It is where it comes from. It's the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. We cannot delight in God if we are not in Christ Jesus. We are redeemed to delight in our God, our Redeemer. 
if you're here this morning and you have ever wondered, what is God's will in this situation or that situation or for my life in general? Well, here it is. Paul gives it in verse 18, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you today. So no matter what situation you're looking at, no matter what is going on in your life, this is God's will. You might be thinking, well, when I was thinking about God's will, I was thinking for God to tell me what job to take, where to live, what to do in this specific situation. But God's desire for us is greater than just those things. God's desire is that we would delight in him. That is his will for us. If you wonder, the psalmist in Psalm 37 forces, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delighting in God is not a burden, as many think. Making God supreme in our life isn't a burden, but it's a pleasure. It's not a duty that we have to do, but it's a joy. It's a joy to delight in the one who saved us. It's not a burden. It's not a duty. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. God made you his in Jesus so that we will delight in him and to glorify him in all that we do. Not just in part of what we do, but in all of life, all of our lives. And so Paul, in these verses, seeks to help the Thessalonians to live wholly focused on God by assisting them to delight in God. And Paul begins first by saying, rejoice always. We delight in God by rejoicing in Christ Jesus. I added that in Christ Jesus because I think if you take verse 16, 17, 18 together and you understand that the, this is God's will in Christ Jesus, the rejoicing is in Christ Jesus. The, the praying is in Christ Jesus. The giving thanks is in Jesus. Rejoicing is a gladness or joy that comes not from one's surrounding circumstances but rather from somewhere else. For us, for those who have been truly converted, our rejoicing comes from our relationship with Jesus. Rejoicing comes from Him because of who we are in Jesus. Rejoicing doesn't look, when it says rejoice always, He's not saying that we look at our current situation or circumstances and we, by our own effort, choose to think positively. There's all sorts of things going around Facebook that just look at circumstances and say, I need to choose to think positively or something like that. That's not at all what God wants from his people, those whom he's chosen in Christ. We may be in a situation where we are facing suffering, or trials, or difficulty. And we're going to find it a great struggle in those circumstances to rejoice always. Because we don't want to. Sometimes we just want to be grumpy about the way life is, don't we? Naturally, sinfully, that's what we want. We're just like, ah, life is terrible today. And we choose to have a sinful reaction and a sinful attitude. So we're going to find it difficult to just choose positive thinking. It's not the answer. We are not to ignore the pain or suffering in our lives in the moment. Pain and suffering are real, unfortunately, but it's due to sin, living in a sin-cursed world. 
it's real. It's, it's there. We experience it far more than we ever care to admit and ever want. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot live life ignoring the difficult things by our own efforts and simply smile and move on with life. We can't. It's not possible. But rather, because of Jesus' work on the cross and the empty grave, we can rejoice always. And that is good news. Jesus gives us the power and the ability to respond with joy, real joy that's rooted in him in the face of good circumstances and bad circumstances. Our gladness is not surface, circumstantial based. Our gladness flows from Jesus. It flows and overflows from who our God and Savior is. Do you rejoice always? No matter what circumstance, and this isn't a time for testimonies, but, so don't raise your hand, but do you rejoice always, no matter the circumstances? We rejoice always when we are reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel daily and throughout our days. We can't rejoice in Jesus always if we aren't reminding ourselves of the reality that in Christ we are redeemed, no longer condemned. And it's good news. Second, Paul says we are to pray constantly. Or maybe your Bible says pray without ceasing. Either way, pray constantly. Praying constantly is delighting in God through depending on him for everything. Do you ever think about prayer as delighting in God? That's exactly what prayer is. It's saying, God, I am insufficient. But you are sufficient. You are enough. We, come, we must come to the point where we believe that we need God all the time. Not just in the good, not just in the bad, but all the time. This is not our natural reaction to God, to depend on God. Due to our sinful rebellion against God, we seek to live life how we see it, how we believe is best. And we don't live life dependent upon God, which shows that we are delighting in Him. To live this way, to live not dependent upon God, is foolishness. Read the book of Proverbs if you are not certain of that. There is a way that seems right unto man. Well, how does the rest of that verse go? Ends in destruction, is what the, what the author of Proverbs says. Life apart from God will end in ruin for us. We are to live dependent upon God through prayer. Now, prayer isn't a magical thing. Prayer is a conversation that we have with God. Now, to be clear, God isn't going to speak back to us as we pray. That's not how God communicates to us. God communicates to us through his word. God communicates to us through his word. We pray in response to what God has said in his word. How often do we pray the words of scripture back to God? 
We are to pray constantly, Paul says. Constantly or without ceasing can be a bit confusing. Does Paul mean we should all quit whatever we're doing and go live in a monastery and pray nonstop, 24-7? Is that what Paul's implying? I don't think so, and I see a lot of you wisely shaking your heads no as well because, uh, well, why are we here today then? But I, I think for clarification, we're not commanded here to only ever pray for to do so, for to only ever pray 24-7, would be failing to obey God's other commands in the Word of God. It would ignore everything else God says and simply pray. But instead, everything we do ought to be saturated in prayer. Everything we do ought to be saturated in prayer. Prayer constantly points us to the reality that we are not self-sufficient. But rather, we are connected in Jesus to the one who is self-sufficient. We are connected to a holy God, and we cannot glorify him apart from dependence upon him in prayer. So, we pray constantly because we delight in God. Third, Paul says, we are to give thanks in everything. Of the three, I think this is the one we probably think we do the best at. But I wonder if we really do. Give thanks in everything means we, we are to respond to every situation, every circumstance, with thanks to God. As you read the command he gives in verse 18, to give thanks in everything, you might ask the question, am I, are we, to thank God for everything? Even bad or sinful things that happen to me or in my life? Hopefully you have an answer to that question. But I do not believe that we are to thank God for the bad or sinful things that happen to us in our lives. I do believe, though, that we are to thank God for how these circumstances will draw us closer to God and refine and deepen our faith in God. If you don't believe me, please go home and read James 1 and 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says the result of our faith that's, that's tested through suffering is to the praise and glory and honor of God. Suffering in our lives is not purposeless. There is a purpose. It's to draw us to greater and greater dependence upon God and to deepen and refine our faith in God as gold is refined in fire, as 1 Peter says. We are to give thanks in everything. There's not an option to say, well, I don't feel like giving thanks to God in this situation. It's not good. I don't like it. So I'm not going to thank God today for that. We don't have that option. It's in everything. And on top of that, it's God's will for us. The source of our thanksgiving, as has been with our rejoicing and our praying, is Jesus. We give thanks in everything in Jesus. In all of our life, we can give thanks in everything if we are in Jesus. We have in Jesus hope. Future hope. We have eternal life now and then. 
And we know God as our heavenly Father because of Jesus. Therefore, we can say, come what may, thank you, God. Thanks, joy, prayer is not circumstantial. It's rooted in Jesus. God wants you to live a holy focused God wants you to live wholly focused on him by delighting in God. We delight in God by rejoicing always, praying constantly, and giving thanks in everything. Do you delight in God today? Don't answer that question with an automatic yes. I want you to think, do you delight in God as Paul commands the Thessalonian believers? Is God your greatest treasure in all the world? If everything you had was stripped away, taken away from you, would you delight in God? Our satisfaction in all of life must be in God because he is the greatest treasure. Our lives must be focused on God because God alone truly satisfies. We ought to respond to these verses, though, with great adoration and worship of our God because no matter what comes no matter what difficulty happens in your life you can rejoice you can pray you can give thanks what kind of a God asks this of us what kind of a God says no matter what happens rejoice in me pray to me give thanks to me Because God is sufficient and he is enough. God is awesome. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next year. But come what may, delight in God. Second, we live wholly focused on God by clinging to God's word. We live wholly focused on God by clinging to his word. You might wonder, how how does clinging to God's word enable us to live wholly focused on God? Well, why do we need to cling? Isn't reading God's word and listening to God's word enough? I think what Paul says in verses 19 to 22 is it is not enough. It's good. It's a good place to begin, but it's not enough. It's not where we should stop. A life that is wholly focused on God is a life that holds fast to God's word alone. We choose by faith to believe God's word is all that we need to live wholly for God. And to help the believers understand this, that they need to cling to God's word, Paul first tells them in verse 19, Do not stifle the spirit or do not quench the spirit. Throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a fire. So the word quench is a helpful word in communicating what Paul is communicating. It says, don't stifle, don't quench the Spirit. Don't, don't stop the Holy Spirit from working in our lives, is what he's saying. Now, how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? Well, the Holy Spirit works in our lives through the Word of God. 
Jesus said that he was going to go away. He's talking to his disciples. He said he's going away and he was going to send a helper. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to help us to understand and obey God in his word. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We stifle the Holy Spirit, though, by ignoring his leading, his convicting, his help in the word of God. By choosing to deliberately sin and by refusing to submit to what we know in the word of God. All these show that we are not clinging to God's word because we do not submit to God, the Holy Spirit, as we listen to the word of God and as we read it. We want to do what we want, and we ignore and sin against God and stifle or quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Paul says, do not do this. This is not good for your spiritual lives to quench the Holy Spirit. You have been given the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Joyfully submit. All truly converted people have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation, Ephesians 1 says. And as the helper, he's been given to us as a helper to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He has a good purpose in our lives. And we sin against him when we stifle the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Next, in verse 20, he says, don't despise prophecies. For us, this command might seem foreign or strange to us. What does Paul mean by not despising prophecies? Well, in the Old Testament and in early into the New Testament, there were prophets who foretold messages on behalf of God. God told them a message and they spoke it to God's people or to others. In the, if you think about Jonah, we talked about Jonah in our vacation Bible school this week. He went to people who were not gods and called them to repent. So he was a prophet speaking on behalf of God. These prophets received the message I said and spoke it to the, peop to the people. Now in the New Testament, prophets were ones who told forth God's word. There was no Bible, no, no Bible that they could pick up and hold in their hands and read on their own. They heard it through the prophets. There was no Bible, and so they relied on the prophets. And these prophets played an important role in building up the church, to strengthen the church, to edify the church, to encourage the church. We here at Grace Baptist Church do not believe that this gift of prophecy is for today. We believe this because we have the completed word of God. We don't need any other messages from God for the Thessalonian church, prophets were telling God's people God's messages. And through these prophets, God, the Holy Spirit, was building his church there in Thessalonica. Therefore, it was easy for Paul to say to them, don't despise prophecies. So that's what prophecies were for them. But now we have to look at what does he mean by despise? Why is he telling them not to despise prophecies and we're not told how or why but this church was throwing out rejecting despising all prophecies because they did not know which ones were true and which ones were false many think that the prophecies that they were struggling with 
were what he had previously talked about in the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, where looking to the future at when Christ will return. Some were believing and hearing that Christ had already come, and they missed it. It's possible that that's what Paul's referring to here, but we do not know with certainty. They were despising all prophecies, and he says, don't do that. Just because you don't know which ones are true or false, don't despise all prophecies. That, he, he's trying to tell them that this is a poor reaction to not knowing. It's a poor reaction. But rather, he goes on in, in verse uh, 20, and he says, but test all things. Don't reject this, these prophecies. Don't reject them, but test them. Rather than despise all prophecies, they were to test all things. All that they heard was to be tested. Was it true or was it not? It had to be tested against something that they knew already to be true. They were to test it against what they knew to be true of God's word. What did they have that they probably knew? It was the Old Testament. They were to test the word of God against what they knew to be true. If what they heard was consistent with the word of God that they knew, it was a true prophecy and worthy of hearing and listening to. But if it was not, they were to consider it rubbish and ignore it. The Thessalonian church chose to disbelieve all prophecies. That was their reaction. Don't know what's true? It's all worthless. I believe we are more open to believing anything that we hear as biblical with little to no thought to its consistency with the whole counsel of God's word. How much have we chosen to believe without taking it back to the scriptures? My mind immediately goes back to Acts when Paul is preaching and teaching to the Bereans. They had Paul the Apostle teaching them and preaching to them. And what did they do? They studied to know if the things that Paul taught them were true. They did it with Paul. Should we not do it with the things that we hear? We too need to be careful with what we hear and believe. In the rest of these verses, in verse 21 and 22, Paul gives them two commands that are really the same, uh, that are, that are, that are two sides of the same coin. He says in verse 21 and 22, he says, Hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. I believe, as I said, these statements are two sides of the same coin and are meant to help guide us, guide believers, as they consider the messages that we hear. First, he says, hold on to what is good. As they listen to the prophecies, they should hold on. They should cling to what is good. They will know the messages. They will know which messages they hear are good by comparing it with what they know already. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 talk about this as well. What we hear does it match the gospel? And for us, we must take all we hear back to God's word to evaluate whether it is true or not. And when we find it to be true, we should hold to it. When what we hear meets 
and is consistent with the word of God, we should hold to it. Paul goes on in verse 22 and says, Stay away from every kind of evil. I believe this is in reference to the prophecies. When a prophecy is deemed not true, they need to stay away from it because it is evil. It's not good. It's not from God. We hold on to what is good by knowing what is good, which is God's word. We must know God's word. You, as a truly converted person, must know God's word. It's not an option for you just to have a Bible and to not spend time in it outside of Sundays. It's not an option. We must see God's word as an inexhaustible treasure and store it in our souls. It's not something to take for granted. It is the life-giving source. In it, we find the words of life. And it's inexhaustible. You will never, ever, ever be able to drain the resource of the word of God dry. So the question is, do you cling to God's word? Do you cling? Do you hold fast to it above all else? That no matter what happens, you're clinging to the word of God. Do you have a habit of memorizing and thinking deeply on God's word so to know God and to treasure him above all else? Do you cling to God's word? What a great God we have. What a great God we have who would give us his inspired word. Think about that. God, the creator, the holy, righteous judge of the earth, gave us his word. Not everybody in all of time has ever had this. We have his word. God is so amazing that he would do that. How incredible is our God that he said, I want you to have my word. But how sad it is, how little we treasure it. We should love God because he has given us his completed word. We need nothing more. Praise God. God is so good to his people. God is so good to his people because he gave us his word to help us grow individually and corporately. God wants you if you're truly converted here this morning, to live wholly focused on him. This means that your whole life must be all about God. Wherever you are, all about God. God wants you to live wholly focused on him by delighting in him. We do this by rejoicing always, praying constantly, and giving thanks in everything but also by delighting in him and also by clinging to God's word. Paul is seeking to help this church to continue to grow spiritually by setting their focus on God, by drawing their attention off themselves, off what's going on with them, and putting it on God. It's like that when I run. Sometimes when I run, 
I can be looking down and looking at how my arm, what my arms are doing, looking at how my feet are landing and pushing off. I, I can get, I can get, my, and all of a sudden I realize I'm like off the sidewalk onto the grass, or or I'm I'm in the middle of the road or something, and I'm gonna get. I, I'm not paying attention to where I'm going. My my focus, my eyes are not on where it needs to be. And if our eyes, if our focus gets off God, we will be askew in our spiritual lives. We need to set our focus on God because we can easily get our attention off him and onto other things. We need the reminder that Paul gives the believers in Thessalonica to delight in God and to cling to God's word. So, how are you doing this morning? How are you doing at focusing wholly on God? How does God's word today call you to change the way you are currently living so that you can live wholly focused on God? To help answer this question, I have some questions for you to consider as we seek to apply the word of God to our lives. First, what satisfies you? What is satisfying to you? probably different for each one of us, but what satisfies you? Is it God? Or is it something else? Do you believe that God is all satisfying? And I don't want you to just answer that with yes, because we're at church, and we have church answers that we give. I do it. We all do it. But let's think about it for a moment. Is God the thing that satisfies us more than anything else? Second, what are you doing to cling to God's word daily? What are you doing to cling to God's word daily? Do you have a habit of Bible reading, Bible study, of prayer, of scripture memory, of meditation on God's word? These are just some examples of ways in which we can cling to God's word. When you hear the word of God preached or taught on Sundays, do you hold fast to that as you go through your week? We have to consider, is our whole life focused on God? What action steps do you need to take today to live wholly focused on God? And then I want to encourage you with something. As we, get, we dismiss here in a little bit, I want you to talk to someone else within this room, within this building, and share with them how you seek this week to focus on God. Because our lives are not lived solo. Our spiritual lives are meant to be lived intentionally with other people, helping each other to grow, helping each other to love God above all else. So I want to challenge you, no matter what you take away this morning, to share that with a fellow believer this morning. God wants you to live wholly focused on him. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for all that you are for us. Father, you are truly a great God and deserve all, all our praise and adoration. Father, we are so 
unworthy of what you have done for us in Christ. And yet, we are also so truly grateful for it. Because in Jesus Christ, we have life. We have you. And Father, I pray that all of our life, every little detail of our lives, whether we eat or whether we drink, would be focused on you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.